Lord God and Heavenly Father, creator of things seen and unseen. We pray, Lord God, that you be with us this evening, that you would allow your scriptures, Lord God, your word and its purpose to come forth, Father, that through this evening's service, Lord God, you may be worshipped, you may be honoured, you may be glorified. We pray, Lord God, you be with us this evening. And we pray these things for your honour and glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Prior to the portion of Scripture that we'll be looking at this evening, we see that Christ is preaching. This is commonly known as his Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, we see Christ. And standing before Christ is a great multitude. After seeing this great multitude, Christ decides to go up a mountain. The disciples follow closely behind him. And then Christ begins to teach. Christ teaches on many things, but the purpose of what Christ is sharing is about his kingdom. Christ gives us a picture from chapters 5 to half of chapter 7. He tells us a picture of his kingdom. He explains to us about those that are in his kingdom or of his kingdom, about what they look like, about how they act, about their character. He shares with us how God's word and God's law applies to those that are in his kingdom. He gives us practical religion, practical theology, and how it applies to the devotional life of those that are part of his kingdom. He even shares with us how we ought to act and deal with one another when there is conflict, when there is problems, when there is judgment. Christ paints out and teaches on what the kingdom looks like. And there before him is a crowd of people that thought they knew what the kingdom looked like. See, this crowd that was before Christ was majorly full of Jewish people, of Israelites, of people that had an idea of what the kingdom was. And their idea was this great Messiah would come, defeat the Romans, and establish the kingdom there and then. But Christ doesn't teach them this. Christ teaches them many great things, but not this. They had a misconception of what the kingdom was. Now many theologians believe that the Sermon on the Mount was used as a, a, a lawgiver or as a schoolmaster for us to read and to understand that we fall short of the glory of God, similar to what we see in Romans chapter 3. But I put it before you, I do not believe that was the purpose of this sermon. You see, the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount was for Christ to teach his disciples, for Christ to teach that uh, those that were in the kingdom how to live as the kingdom would have them to live. And for the crowds, for those that are around that weren't part of the kingdom, this was a grace to them, not a judgment. This was Christ showing them, you have a misconception. Let me correct it. This is what my kingdom is to look like. 
This was a grace to show them the beauty of his kingdom. Because the crowd would have realised that they are not part of his kingdom. That being, you know, um, accepting these teachings of the Pharisees, of you, you know, being the seeds of Abraham, or the sons of Moses, you know, or the seed of the sons of Jacob, that did not make them part of the kingdom. Christ was correcting this misconception. And in his correction, he was loving them. In his correction, he was giving them grace and showing them truth. And that's when we get to chapter 7 and verse 13. In verse 13, we see a command. A command geared to those that were not part of his kingdom. A command given to those that had not accepted him. See, here we have one of four of the cautions that end his Sermon on the Mount. We have the first of four cautions or four warnings given by Christ in his conclusion of the Sermon of the Mount. And that simply is, if you do not enter the narrow gate, you will receive destruction. See, we have here four juxtapositions. These are two things set or placed before us that have two different outcomes or, or two um, contrasting effects or, or consequences. Those four juxtapositions are a narrow gate and a wide gate. A difficult way and a broad way. A life and destruction. Few and many. Two outcomes. Two positions put before us. But two completely different um, circumstances. Two contrasting circumstances or effects. Now these juxtapositions, this, this command or, or these outcomes are not new to the Jewish people. This isn't a new thought to them. They had received this through Old Testament teachings. We see Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 15 saying, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Two contrasting positions, two contrasting effects. Again in Jeremiah chapter 21, verse 8, God's word reads, Now you shall say to this people, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. These are teachings familiar to the Israelites. They understood that there was a way of life and a way of destruction. And Christ was giving them a command, a command to enter the narrow gate, a command to follow. You see, Matthew Henry identifies this narrow gate as conversion and regeneration. Similar things are echoed in John chapter 3, where Christ says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. Unless one is regenerated, 
unless one is converted, you cannot even see this kingdom that I teach you about. As read earlier by Brother Steve, in John chapter 10, verse 7, Christ says, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Christ is the door. Christ is the way for the sheep, for those that are part of the kingdom, for those that are saved. They enter the kingdom through Christ. Jesus again says, I am the way, the truth. And the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. Different ways of saying the same command. You see, this narrowness that Christ speaks about, this exclusiveness, is the narrowness and exclusiveness of the gospel. There is no other way. There is no other way to life. There is no other way to the kingdom but through Christ, through His death and His resurrection, through faith in Him, in who He is and what He has done, and through repentance. There's a narrowness to this way. After we, we accept this, or after we obey this command, he says, this narrow way is difficult. It is hard. It is strenuous. Why? Why is it hard? Because it goes against our natural state. So even as believers, we have to die to self daily. We have to continue in faith and repentance. Yes, through the working of the Holy Spirit. But yes, we strive and we battle against our flesh. Through the renewing of our mind, we have to conform into the likeness of Christ. Through bearing our cross daily. It is difficult. It is hard. We go through trials and temptations. We are tested. God, as if it were, stretches us out to work a perfect patience in our life. To grow us and conform us into the likeness of Christ. This is what is on the other side of that gate. This is what we receive. But there is life. Life eternal. The other way. The opposite of this narrow gate. The opposite of this difficult way that that um, leads to life, that leads to freedom from the second death, is the wide gate. Now this wide gate doesn't take much. I've heard preachers say before, it is if you come to a crossroad, one side says the narrow way, one side says the broad way, and make your choice, choose your path. But church, I say to you, it is not like that. We are all on this broad way. Or we all were once on this broad way. It is our natural state. It is where we were born. It is where we continue. And upon this broad way, as we stroll down, as we walk with the multitude, as we walk with the crowds and the masses, we see Christ standing, calling out, enter, 
enter the, the, the narrow way. Come off this broad way that you continue on. It is not us having to come and make a choice. It is us having to come and obey and come off this broad way. Our natural state is to enjoy this broad way. It's to walk on this path. It is to continue as we would if it weren't for the working of the Holy Spirit. You see, during the time of Reformation, the Reformers were founded on what we call the five solas. Scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, to God's glory alone. Let me say something to you. The Catholic Church did not disagree with Scripture. They did not, they weren't, sorry, they weren't against Scripture. They, they held to a position of Scripture. They believed in grace. They believed in faith. They believed in the glory of God. They believed in all these things. Where they failed is they did not believe in these things alone. And that is all it takes, church, for us to stay on that broad way. One word alone. The, the, the world does not have an issue with the church professing Christ as a saviour. Oh, sorry. What they have an issue with is us professing Christ as the saviour. One word. A lot of people come to this passage and believe that Christ is dealing with a religious people or agnostics or um, atheists or, or just rebellious sinners or, or those that hold to a totally different view on religion. But church, Christ is dealing with religious people, with people that thought they were part of the kingdom. In today's day and age, Christ would be saying this you know, to, a, to a point to those in the church, to those that have wrong teachings, to those that do not hold to the exclusiveness of Christianity, of the gospel. That is what is being dealt with here. And then we have this, this broad way this broad way that the world calls us to walk down and they usher us through. This broad way that says to us, don't worry about adultery. And yes, you can have Christ. But why can't you have Christ and the desires of your heart also? And yes, you can have Christ, no worries. But you can have Buddha and, and, and Muhammad and, and any other religion you want. There's no need to fight. There's no need to battle. Let us hold hands and walk together. It's like when you go to an event and you park your car and it might be at a stadium or a showground and you've never been there before. And you jump out of your car and you look lost. You're like, okay, how do I get there? 
And then you see a group of people sporting a flag or wearing a jersey and you're like, that's, that's where they're going. I'll follow them. They're going to where I want to get to. Let us go together. You follow each other down a path. But imagine there was a man not wearing a jersey. Not dressed how we're dressed. Not looking how we're looking. Telling us, hey, get off the road. Come cut through this construction site. Come through here. Most of us would say no. I'm following the crowd to the game. That's what the world does. That is this, this broad way. It is easy. It is safe. It is comfortable. That's the path of the world. That's what they're being called to. But it is this broad way. It is our natural state that leads to destruction. Church, as, as the world walk down this this path, as they, they go down this, this broad way, this easy way, this, this joyful way, this joyful lifestyle, as they stroll down or even run down it with smiles on their face, they are running off a cliff. And Christ is standing there yelling, not asking them to consider something, not telling them to make a choice, not having them make a decision. But commanding them, grabbing some on their way, saying, No, enter the kingdom, enter life, come this way, come this narrow way. Because this narrow way can only be found through Christ. There is no fence, there is no path that we walk down and we sit at and we scratch our heads and we decide, Hmm, which way do I want to go? There is no fence to sit on because the fence is the broad way. There is no peacetime. There is no truce with other ideas. There is no um, holding on to our sins that we wish to enjoy and say, you know what, Christ, I want you, but I want my adultery too. I want my pornography also. I want my, my alcoholism, my drunkenness, I want my unfaithfulness, I want my dodgy business deals, and I want my sin also. If that is you tonight, you are still on the broad way. Repentance is required. Faith is required of you. Obey Christ Obey his gospel. There may be some of us sitting here tonight, as the crowd were before Christ, that were thinking to themselves, I'm part of the kingdom. Until Christ shared his sermon, and they realised they're not. The call is not for you to make a decision. The call is for you to obey Enter the kingdom. Because enter the narrow way, the narrow gate. Take this difficult path. Because it is through this that we receive life and salvation. 
few and many. Sadly, few find this narrow gate. Many don't. The urge, the call, the command to be part of the few, to go against the grain. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, for your gospel truths. We thank you for how you have worked all things to your will. We pray, Lord God, you be with us this evening, that the Holy Spirit may have an effectual work in the life of your people. We thank you, Father, and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.